Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Radical Compliance podcast. I'm Matt Kelly, editor of Radical Compliance, and today we have a special treat. We are going to talk about how to transform and upscale a global compliance function with a compliance officer who has been doing exactly that for the last six to eight months or so. Uh, our guest is Charles Perret, who has been chief compliance officer at SIVA Logistics since March of this year. SIVA is a global logistics and supply chain business. It's headquartered in France with about $8 billion in annual revenue and not quite 80,000 employees worldwide. And Charles has been on a compliance officer hiring spree for most of his tenure so far this year, and he's going to join us now to talk a bit about what he's been doing over at SIVA to build up that uh, global compliance function. Uh, Charles, welcome. Welcome. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to, to speak with you and, and discuss about how we bring the ethics and compliance function to the next level. All right. Well, then let me start by asking, what were your priorities or your marching orders when you first arrived at SIVA in March? When, when you said, I want to achieve these things with the compliance function within six months or one year, uh, what was that target? What what are those objectives that you had? So when when I arrived, uh, really the first conversation was was to understand Siva, mm -hmm. where Siva was going as as on its journey. I mean, Siva had been recently acquired a year before by CMA CGM, new shareholder, leading to a complete transformation and a complete new strategy for Siva. And the marching order was, how do we bring the ethics and compliance function in sync with this new strategy? How do we make it really not only an enabler, a supporter of the new strategy, but a net contributor to it? So that was really the starting point. And the target was to get it done as fast as possible. So uh, we, we are in the logistics business and, and we are consumer centric. So we had to translate that to the entire transformation of the ethics and compliance function. And so how did you decide on a structure for the global compliance program? Uh, it looks to me like you've been hiring regional compliance chiefs around the world. I presume they report directly into you, but uh, what are those goals for like global oversight and reporting to you at headquarters? How did you decide on that structure or org chart for the compliance team? The, the decision-making process was actually much more me listening and, and seeing historically how the compliance function of SIVA has been evolving mm -hmm. and, and what other players are doing, what, what is really best in class, what has been working, what hasn't been working, and then going back to the roots. So, so talking to, to country leaders, general managers, managing directors, functional leaders, and understanding their needs. Yep. From there, we, we really went on, if, if you look at the books, this is a people company. Uh, we, we are present in 160 countries. We are very asset light. So we need to have a compliance function, which is mirroring that reality. And, and I tend to say, I mean, a warehouse or a ship or a truck is never going to plead guilty and go to jail. It's people who do that. And it's also people who make you successful. So the structure of the compliance function was really starting from that point. So one big, if I put it on the left, is really a regional structure. Mm -hmm. Three big regions, 
regional chiefs, regional directors reporting fully to me and dotted line to the respective regional MDs, each of them having respectively sub-regional heads uh, to, to cover equivalent buckets of the world and really be close in the management teams to, to tailor the program to the local needs. That's what I would call the regional structure, which is really on the ground enabling the transformation and the delivery of the compliance program. On the global side, which would be the right side, three main buckets. One is a regulatory one, which is one director leading a team of, of lawyers covering anti-bribery, human rights, competition law, antitrust, data privacy, artificial intelligence, uh, and the regulatory side of, of our business. I mean, when you do medical devices, healthcare products, and so on. Mm -hmm. So that's one team. The second team is global trade compliance and customer excellence. So, so literally sanctions, embargoes, dual use goods, licensing, uh, and the whole screening, third party risk management, and also designing solutions for our customers that we accompany in different jurisdictions of the world. That's one huge function. And the third one, it's really corporate governance. So risk assessment, corporate compliance investigations, conflict of interest, training, learning, enablement, and comms. So, so these are really the, the big buckets on that. And the whole thing together creates really an architecture which now can deliver on SIVA's new strategy. So uh, I'm trying to do the math here, like roughly how many people then are in the compliance function somehow with the, the regional chiefs, the sub-regional, and we've got several different buckets there. Like in the, what is a ballpark number of employees in the ethics and compliance function? Ballpark on full line, we would look at 50. Mm -hmm. And then you would add all the dotted lines, which are in the countries and, and in the markets. However, I wouldn't consider them directly under the structure because at the end, in every market, you're going to have ambassadors and, and people really doing the job. And, and for me, honestly, we have 78,000 employees in ethics and compliance because every single SIVA employee is dedicated to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I did want to follow up on one thing that you had mentioned just at the start of your, your previous answer there. You said you did a lot of listening and talking with uh, managing directors around the world. And I was kind of curious, what did they say about what they want from the ethics and compliance function? Because I, I suspect a lot of business unit leaders, they're not opposed to being ethical people. I think most of them want that. But at the same time, they don't really want ethics and compliance functions you know, getting tangled in their hair or getting all up in their face all the time. And they're trying to figure out what is the right balance. I was just curious, what's your experience? You, you go to these first line business functions, you ask them what they would like, like what do they tell you and what do you try and figure out about how you should be striking the right balance there? It's, it's a fair point. I mean, it's, it's learning. It's for me, it's a new industry. So, mm -hmm. so first I had to understand from them is, look, explain me how you create value yep. <laughs> and explain me how you make our customers happy. Mm -hmm. well, once I got that, I was like, okay, what do you think is keeping you awake at night within that? And uh, translating that led to conversations where if, if I make the summary, it's really point one, help me deliver good business and good service to our customers. Point two, ma make sure we do it the right way. And uh, help me understand what the right way is without being legalistic, without being cumbersome, M make it easy, mm -hmm. make it simple. Uh, that, that was really the, the summary of what I got out of those conversations. 
And uh, one thing that, that came across in all discussions is make it human. So how so? And uh, what are the sort of, I don't know, examples you want to use maybe from training or messages or something like that? How would you try and figure out how to do that for such a complex business? We tend to look at the compliance program from the compliance officer's point of view. Mm-hmm. And if we transpose that to any type of product on the world, that would be counterintuitive. I mean, when you want to sell a product, then then you look at the consumer's point of view. What would they be likely to buy? What need am I fulfilling? So I strongly believe that ethics and compliance in that sense to be successful needs to be seen as a product. I'm selling ethical compliant behavior and I have competitors. I have an audience. I need to understand my market, do my research and then package my product in a way that they want to buy it and and they want to subscribe to it and, and they want to make word of mouth contribute to me having a lower marketing budget and, and actually my consumers, my employees, uh, reselling and promoting my own product. And, and once we put ourselves in that mindset, it becomes, first of all, a lot of fun, honestly, and also easier. And you realize that the same product, ethics and compliance, cannot be sold as a one-fit-all solutions across the world because the risks are different. And the people are different. Mm-hmm. So one very practical example, we are running, we were running generic mailboxes. Now, I, I don't want to write to a generic mailbox. I want to talk to a human being. Mm-hmm. So we are now replacing those generic mailboxes with a human person who has a face, who has a voice, who is known in a given geography, who is reachable within the same time zone. And that person is going to take care of, is this not data privacy? Is this trade compliance? Is it the screening? What, what is it? That burden shouldn't be. And, and I got a question no later than earlier today where people said, okay, can you give us a guidance on when we should contact legal, when we should contact compliance? And, and I'm like, no, you call the first person you can reach and we take care of solving your problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have to say, I love that metaphor that you had used before about, you know, you're selling a product to the employees, but there are competitors uh, for the ethics and compliance function. And I hadn't really thought of it quite in that term, but, you know, there are competitors about people just want to do their job. I'm sure there are some mm-hmm. unscrupulous people out there who are competing for somebody to do misconduct. I, I think that's a very good way to frame the messaging that is going to be effective and kind of pierce through the noise and get an employee's attention because they have a lot of other demands competing for their attention and frankly, for their good conduct or their commitment to ethics. I think that's an excellent observation. Um, Let me ask this more about how you, the chief compliance officer, how do you interact with other parts of the SIVA enterprise and particularly the legal and the HR teams, because those are always seen as sort of the the frenemy functions of compliance. You know, you, they're, they're not really adversarial, although sometimes I've seen that go <laughs> off the rails and it's adversarial. But a lot of times relations with HR and legal are not necessarily uh, warm and fuzzy. Um, but how does this work at SIVA? How are you trying to make sure that there are correct bridges being built with the rest of the enterprise? I fully agree, and and I've experienced frenemy, and for me it's important to to make that go away and and really build very strong partnerships, both with legal and and with HR, 
Uh, with legal, it, it is a natural partnership. I mean, we, we are coming from the same family. We are working on the same stuff. We have, we have things in common, which is we need to make the problem go away in a smooth, seamless way. And in general, no one is going to say thank you at the end. And, and, and our job is completely cyclical. Mm -hmm. So it, it is about having a transparent relationship where well, when you have a work overload, I'm going to help you. And when I have an overload, you're going to help me. And we generally agree to agree in public, which means we need to give a consistent message to the business, uh, not to confuse them and, and also to help our alignment. So this is a natural partnership. With HR, surprisingly for me, the partnership is even more natural. We do compliance for people. And for me, the starting point of a risk assessment is understand, tell me who is in my organization, mm -hmm. uh, who is a forklift driver, who, who is a salesperson, where are they based, who, who is an analyst, who is an admin, who is a director, what are the people doing and where are they and where are they living and how many are they? So we start the risk assessment actually by talking to HR and building up that understanding. The, the last thing we want is people getting the wrong risk assessment, the wrong training, which, which is a waste of their time, a disrespect to them actually. Training a person on the wrong stuff is, is disrespecting that person. So it is a very strong partnership and it needs to be nurtured each and every day. And now I, I also wanted to ask a question about reporting. Uh, for you as the chief compliance officer, here you are sitting up at the perch at the corporate headquarters. How are you stitching together various reports of misconduct, compliance difficulties, control testing and audits and all of that? There's a lot of smaller control activities happening further down the corporation. How are you turning that into one holistic picture for yourself? Because you're supposedly going to go to the board and they're going to ask about, give us the big picture, give us the overall culture of compliance right now. So how do you go about trying to get that bigger frame from all the other activities that get reported into you? What, what are you doing? If, if I really put that on, on basic principles, the first one is I have a fantastic team. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is really the starting point and, and I truly trust and empower them. Uh, they are the ones really getting the full picture and, and we are discussing, we are debating on it and, and we are learning step by step on, on seeing, okay, this is relevant, this is less relevant. I take that and I combine it with what I see from the business evolution. Where are we going? What, what must-win battles are we getting? What are our strategic wins? How are we evolving commercially? And the way to translate that to the board and C-suite level is what's in for them. So the entire compliance culture needs to be framed in a way which is relevant for the business objectives. Mm -hmm. it, it is not about me going by my agenda, like compliance area one, two, let's talk anti-bribery for five minutes, let's talk competition law for five minutes. That's my kitchen. I need to translate that into their menu. This is relevant because of this. You have this strategic objective, you wanna go in that country, these are the risks, this is what we are doing to mitigate, this is what I need from you, this is where we stand. And doing that translation is what I believe is, is really the role of the regional uh, directors and also my role uh, so that 
we can truly enable the, the business to own ethics and compliance and make it part of their strategic decision making. You know, I, I have to ask, I, I had an image in my head, sort of, which was probably wrong of, you know, there's a dashboard and certain lights are green. You don't have to worry. Certain lights are red. And, you know, you just kind of hit control P to print out the dashboard and you tell the board of directors, here's our current culture. But I, I, I did like how you were talking about translation a lot and to show that's really there's much more about human analysis that has to go into this from you and your team to figure out what we're going to print to the board. I mean, could you talk a bit more about the, the translating that that uh, that data into something human? Sure. I mean, in our internal kitchen, we, we have those big dashboards. Mm -hmm. So and, and I truly believe that some people like dashboards, some people like Excel. Um, I'm not part of those people, so I, I need for my own sanity to translate it to bullet points and text and, and plain language. And um, to, to get truly the buy-in of senior leadership, they need to get the focus. They need to know, okay, this is really relevant. If I want more details, I can get them. And uh, normally I'm testing and, and some, some members of the leadership team, they truly want to see a dashboard. They want to see an Excel and, and they're going to get their Excel. Some others, they want to see bullet points relevant for them. Others want a story. They want, okay, tell me what's going on. Other ones, real life examples. And adapting the message to what's needed while having, of course, what, what's necessary to, to monitor your program. It's a very interesting exercise. And I truly cherish it because it's, it's not static. And, and it is also for me matching the need to risk assessment is not one thing you do once a year and then you present it. Risk assessment is a permanent exercise. Every coffee is a risk assessment. Mm -hmm. And then last question, sort of along those lines, um, how are you going to know that you are doing well with the compliance function? Like what are the key performance metrics you're going to have as the CCO to assess the effectiveness of your program, say one year out or three years out? Like, what are you looking at? I would, I would take three, three metrics, sure. which, which I'm consistently using. The, the first one is, how is the business doing? I mean, it's really a non-compliance, it's a commercial metric. How is our net margin? How is our revenue? How is our consumer satisfaction? And that for me is one of the strongest compliance indicators, because if it's economically viable, if the consumers are happy, if the tension points are, are managed, then very likely I'm in a business which is under pressure, however, it is a managed pressure. So I need to understand that one. And then I combine it with the second one, which is what is the quantity and quality of direct human to human interactions that I have in a given geography, mm -hmm. which means how many text messages, calls, WhatsApp conversations, do the regionals and sub-regional people have in a given country or, or region? The more, the better. Uh, and the third one is when I'm going uh, visiting countries on the field, when I'm walking through a warehouse, when I'm having a workshop with people or, or just attending a meeting and I ask people it's like, look, what does ethics and compliance mean for you? And, and who is your go-to person? What is kind of the quantity of people who can give me a name, which they know are interacting with and can create an association between ethics and compliance in their own job? If I go to a country and I ask 15 people the question and only two can answer, 
then I'm doing a really poor job in that country. If I get a strike, then I'm like, okay, this is good. We can always do better, but we are good. Okay. Uh, well, Charles, that's all the time we have today, but you covered an awful lot of ground for us. You gave us a lot to think about. Uh, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. It was a real pleasure, Matt, to, to talk to you and discuss about this. And uh, I'm looking really forward to see how ethics and compliance at SIVA and beyond SIVA is, is evolving. I truly believe that we are a profession which is growing and we are on a way to move from supporting to enabling and from enabling to contributing tomorrow and really connecting the business. All right. And again, everybody, that was Charles Perret. He is the Chief Compliance Officer at SIVA Logistics. And he has been talking with us today about how he has been building up and uh, scaling up the compliance function at SIVA over the last eight months or so that he has been there and what he hopes to accomplish. Uh, so that is all for this podcast. I'm Matt Kelly, editor of Radical Compliance. Thank you all for listening. I hope you'll join us again next time.